We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. It's always great to have Peter King stop on by Damon and Ratto each and every Tuesday. And if for any reason, Peter, we end this quickly, it's because uh, all of a sudden we are going to get news on Aaron Judge, who, let's face it, a couple of, what, months ago, not even, I guess it was like uh, during the World Series, you were saying you thought that Aaron Judge might end up with the San Francisco Giants, and uh, today we saw John Heyman get everyone really excited with a tweet that he retracted, it's not about to happen, so I ask you this, Peter King, before we get into any football talk, have you ever tried to break a story that you found out was completely wrong and then had to retract it? Well, not exactly the same way, but <clears throat> when Deflategate was birthed with the Patriots, I don't know if who remembers this, but the night that that happened and the next day, Chris Mortensen of ESPN reported, first Bob Kravitz of at the time of the Indianapolis Star reported that uh, the league was investigating the Patriots for deflating the footballs in a playoff game at Foxborough. And uh, and what happened was Chris Mortensen the next day came out and said that he had information that 11 of the 12 footballs were indeed underinflated, I think he said, by two pounds. And so obviously that was the story of the day. So I called two people inside the league who I felt would have intimate, very close knowledge of this. And both of them said the story is true. And I reported that, you know, I can confirm this story is true. And then as time went on, we found out that the story was not true. And I think I know exactly why, what happened, uh, and why I was told what I was told, not because somebody was lying, to make the Patriots look bad, but it was because the uh, the people inside the stadium, the security people and the people who initially discovered this, um, gave him wrong information. Not that, not that uh, the story was entirely out of left field, although when Roger Goodell gave his uh, uh, gave his uh, penalty for, for that. I said that, you know, when it was very, very hard on Tom Brady, uh, I said that Roger Goodell killed an ant with a sledgehammer uh, because he way, I think, way overpunished uh, for what was an extremely mild, uh, I shouldn't say that, shouldn't say extremely mild. It wasn't that serious of an offense if it indeed happened. We don't really know if it happened, but be that as it may, uh, I reported that and I had to come out and basically say, I'm wrong. Uh, I apologized. I offered to resign from Sports Illustrated at the time, and they said, no, we don't accept your resignation, and so life went on. But Wow, you tried to fall on your own sword? I mean, did, do you realize you know, that if I everyone... I reported it was a big story, and just because... I trusted these two people who told me this. Uh, they were wrong, and so I was wrong. But the public doesn't care that they were wrong. They trust me and what I say to be true. And so the fact is, it wasn't true. And if they had said, we're going to have to accept your res- uh, resignation, I would have said that it, I'm not even angry about that. It's it's. It's worthwhile. 
is not worthwhile, but it's the right decision. And so anyway, we all moved on, but I, I don't I, I don't have any idea what happened with John Heyman or anything like that, but uh, there are many times in today's world because of the intense um, competition involved in stories like this. And now John works for the New York Post. Uh, so he, everybody looks at him and Joel Sherman of the Post and says, okay, you guys, you, you want to know this better than anybody, what's going on? But again, I don't have any idea what happened or why this happened, and we'll see where he goes. But, you know, can I just get back to one last thing about Judge when we talked about it a couple of months ago? Please. The only, the only reason why this always had some legs to me is that... So, okay, I live in Brooklyn, and I've lived in greater New York for all but two of the last 37 years of my life. And so I'm used to the way life works here and the sports life works. And if you live here, and I'm a big baseball fan, you can tell the players in all sports who love playing here and maybe the players who don't really love playing here. Yeah. Like Jacob deGrom, I, I could just tell, this guy doesn't like New York. He's never, he never does anything in New York. He never says, oh, this is great. I'm going to spend New Year's Eve in Times Square. You know, he just, he just was a guy, and there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But he was a guy who I always thought, when that guy's contract is done, man, he'll be on the first train out of town. And this past year, you started hearing it and feeling it with Aaron Judge. You just did. That he was a little bit ticked off at the Yankees, and Time Magazine wrote it today. He's a little bit ticked off at the Yankees uh, for spreading what the uh, uh, contract was uh, that he uh, that he didn't want to sign. Right. So there was that. And you just always got the feeling, every time he was asked about it this year, Hey, look, I love the Yankees. I love playing for the Yankees. But I'm hitting free agency. I'm going to see what's out there. And I always thought, you know, here's a guy from, I don't want to say rural California, because it, it really isn't. But here's a guy from sort of Americana, California, <laughs> who's not used to the big city life necessarily. And you never got a sense that this guy really was adopting New York as his place. And I always just said, well, let's just see. He's going to have one time in his life, one, one time in his prime to choose where he wants to play. And this is it. We're here right now. So he has to know that if you, uh, if you sign with the Yankees, You'll die a Yankee, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you have a curiosity or you want to play somewhere else and you sign with the Yankees, that's all over. It's not going to happen anymore unless it's a, a Joe Namath uh, with the Rams or Johnny Unitas with the Chargers or, or Franco Harris in Seattle. It is, it, you know, when you're playing out the string, when you are absolutely finished and you're playing out the string a year or two somewhere else, but this is his chance. If he truly loves California and did in fact dream at one point of playing for the Giants, this is the only time he's ever going to get a chance to act on it. All right. I was just told if we ask you another follow-up baseball question, they're going to ask for my resignation. So let's get to what we have Peter King on to talk about. And obviously, you talk about playing out a string. Well, even though the news on Garoppolo's foot was better than expected today, they will be playing out this regular season string with Brock Purdy. What did you think of Purdy and what you saw? And how much do you think actually changes for the 49ers with Brock Purdy running, let's call it, a a stripped-down, easier-than-most run-based offense that Kyle loves to run? Well, I'm really not sure that the... For, I'm sure the 49ers are going to change some of what they do. But I can tell you, after spending time with both Shanahan and Brock Purdy on Sunday night after that game 
that there was a play in that game, and I wrote about it extensively in my column on Monday. The third and ten play late in the first half with the score tied at ten, where the Dolphins were blitzing the heck out of out of Brock Purdy. And you probably remember the play. He comes to the line, and it's an eight-man front, and he knows he's going to get blitzed again. He had to adjust his call at the line of scrimmage. Kyle Shanahan is on the sidelines. There's nothing he can do. Play's been called in, and after 15 seconds, you can't talk to the quarterback anymore. So he can't say a word to Brock Purdy. But Brock, Brock Purdy comes to the line and he looks it over and he's got to call a little bit of an audible at the line of scrimmage. And what he does is he basically calls something out at the line that tells uh, George Kittle, hey, listen, cut your route a little bit short because I'm going to get killed here by somebody. I don't know who it is. And it turns out that only four Miami rushers came, but one of them, Jalen Phillips was totally unblocked. And so uh, Brock Purdy threw a ball that traveled 11 yards in the air up the right seam on a post route to George Kittle. He caught it game 19, and that is the play that the 49ers used to uh, take a lead before halftime, and they were off to the races. But the one other thing that I found out afterwards, there have been six passes completed in the NFL this year. Six total passes that were completed in 1.72 seconds or less with a throw that traveled at least 10 yards beyond the line of scrimmage. Brock Purdy's was the sixth. The reason that this is significant is that it told, and Shanahan told me this an hour and a half after the game, it told Shanahan and it told his teammates He can stand in there and take a hit, number one, which he did. Number two, he can understand at the line of scrimmage, I have to change this play, and the play clock is in the single digits, so we got to do it in a hurry. And number three, he can be accurate in the face of a heavy rush. And so I agree that, obviously, losing Jimmy Garoppolo is a blow. And Brock Purdy almost certainly isn't going to be as good as Jimmy Garoppolo. But I would be careful in saying that they're going to have, they're, they're now playing, uh, with, uh, with a very deficient quarterback who's not going to be able to do the job. I'm not sure about that. In fact, when I met with him, I can just tell you, first of all, obviously you guys have seen him now. Everybody's seen him. He looks like he's 17 years old. I'm not sure. I think he shaves about once a month. And he's, uh, but he is incredibly sure of himself. And when you play 48 games in the Big 12, you know, you have played in Norman, Oklahoma in front of 80,000, in Austin, Texas in front of 80,000, in wherever, in Iowa City, Iowa in front of however, 70, I don't know how many people go, but I mean, he's played in some games that in that moment in time were very big games. I don't think he's cowed by this at all, and I don't know how he's going to play. None of us know, but I think he's got a chance to hold the fort for the Niners. Uh, You said that you think the offense will be different, at least to, to a certain extent, with Purdy rather than Garoppolo. In what ways would you surmise that it will be different? Will there be a greater emphasis on on a short throw and, and more runs? Is it what does your logical sense tell you? Um, that first of all, as long as um, I think he's got three tremendous receivers in short and intermediate areas. Christian McCaffrey, uh, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle. And I think that they are really going to try to make a living uh, get not necessarily dumping the ball to these guys, but in taking shorter chunks to those guys. 
And I think, you know, it's funny. In the time I was with Purdy, the thing that caused him to, like, be a little bit gee whiz is he said that, and you guys remember, on the drive that was extended by the pass that I just described, it ended with uh, the short touchdown pass to Christian McCaffrey. But but remember, on the play before that, he threw a catchable ball that McCaffrey dropped. And after that play, and, and then the next play, obviously, you know, the touchdown pass is thrown. But what I found so interesting is that on the when they came to the bench, McCaffrey went up to him, and he basically said, uh, essentially, hey, listen, thanks for having faith in me. Thanks for keeping faith in me and as Purdy told me he said can you believe it this this is you know one of the best players around and he's telling me in my you know really in my first game action and he's accomplished so much already hey thanks for having faith in me are you kidding me and so that's the kind of stuff that I think is going to hold the 49ers in good stead they understand exactly the situation they're in right now not only that Purdy has got to play, but you know what? They better keep him upright. <laughs> you know, because, you know, even though they've lost two starters, imagine if they lost a third. So I, I think they're going to want to try everything they can to try to keep him out of harm's way as much as they can. Peter King with us here on 95.7 The Game. How many players can you honestly say are having better seasons than Nick Bosa? No, he's unbelievable. He really is. Um, you know, I'll tell you this. If this had been a game that the 49ers won 25-17 to 17, uh, and Garoppolo played and everything, I, my story was going to be about Nick Bosa coming out of it. Uh, because, obviously, he had a gigantic impact on this game. Um, and, look... The one thing that we know about the 49ers right now is that, and again, this is the biggest if of the rest of the season because we have seen the 49ers get hurt a lot and at different times. But the point I would make is that if they stay relatively healthy, um, Brock Purdy can be a C to C-plus quarterback and they can still go very far. I don't think they can win at Philadelphia on the last Sunday in January, but I think any other challenge they have, if they have that defense, uh, they can they can meet those challenges. What? Um, are, okay, since since you broached the subject, what teams do the 49ers, as presently constructed and with no further injury issues? What are the teams you don't think they can beat come January, uh, including Philadelphia? Well, I mean, to me, the big question is, and again, I I wrote the other day, I mean, I, I am not a huge fan of if the season ended today. But, you know, if the season did end today and the 49ers won their first playoff game, their second one practically, um, would be on the road in Minnesota against the Vikings. Like, I think they could win that game. Um, I think Minnesota is a good matchup for them because I think that Cousins, when pressured, uh, is able to be affected, and he would be affected on the fast turf of U.S. Bank Field against this front. But again... We're talking a game that is seven weeks away, or six weeks away, rather, which the only reason I, I, I emphasize that, it is seven weeks away. The only reason I emphasize that is that the 49ers play so friggin' hard um, that, I, I mean, you know, you, you have no idea where the injury bug is going to bite them at all by the end of the year. But as of right now, I think they would... I think they would have a very good chance to beat Minnesota. But I think going to Philadelphia is a little bit different kettle of fish because the Eagles 
have a great offensive line. They have weapons all over the offense. They can run it very well. And I think the Eagles are going to be a hard out for anybody, certainly anybody in the uh, in the NFC. But but as I, in my you know the way I would design the playoffs right now, or the way I would look at the playoffs right now, it'd be the 49ers likely as the third seed if they win the division. So then they would play the sixth seed, which would be let's just say for the sake of argument. Washington, the Giants, or Seattle, probably. That's a probably. And the other game, you know, would be, you know, five and four would be Dallas and Tampa. So, you know, if San Francisco got one of those other teams first, I think they would be fortunate instead of and being able to avoid Dallas in the first round. And then if I were San Francisco, I'd much rather play Minnesota than Dallas. So, you know, it could be that the Eagles will take care of Dallas for San Francisco or or for anybody else. But Philadelphia is the only team. I think Dallas would be very hard for the Niners to beat in the playoffs because they're just they're on fire offensively right now. And uh, I'm not sure that that the the Niners can score, can keep up uh, with Dallas offensively. I mean, we'll see. But I think the only team I'd be really worried about in the NFC is Philadelphia. Peter, is Odell Beckham about to be a Cowboy? I don't know the answer to that. I saw that Ed Werder reported something that I have been harping on all along, which is, I don't know what... I mean, everybody is so excited about Odell Beckham. I mean, and again, I don't mean to be the wet blanket of the year, but but I mean, just just think about it. It has been nine months since Odell Beckham Jr. has had ACL surgery. This is his second ACL surgery. Uh, In two straight years, he had ACL surgery. The first time, it took him over a year to be right when he came back. He had this surgery, I believe, around March 1st. So what leads anybody to think that Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be a really good player for any team, uh, even in mid-January? You know, that's still just 10 and a half months removed from surgery. And Ed Warder reported today that Cowboys have some concerns about uh, Beckham's ability to uh, to be anywhere near 100%. Uh, even by the middle of January. So, again, we'll see what happens, but I'm not sure anybody putting a lot of eggs in that basket is very smart. Uh, Two years ago, the NFC East was top to bottom awful, One one of the worst divisions ever in the history of the sport. How does that compare with the AFC South this year? And might that be might that be worse than than the than the 2020 division? AFC South or NFC South? They're both bad. They're both South awful, but terrible. I think I think the three teams in the AFC South are yeah. significantly worse than the three bad teams in the NFC South. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, right now, they're Indianapolis, Jacksonville, and Houston are 13, 14, and 16 out of 16 in the AFC. And lately, it looks like Tennessee uh, is just just really really struggling there i mean you can't make an impact in the playoffs in 2022 scoring 18 points a game and that's what tennessee's average this year um i i guess i would say that the thing that really stands out about the nfc east a couple of years ago is that is how horrendous they were they all were on offense and that really uh it's a it's just a little bit different this year uh, it's not maybe not quite as bad. Jacksonville has had some good days. Indianapolis has had a couple of good days, and it seemed like three years there, yeah, two, three, three years ago, whenever it was, two years ago that the NFC East it was just an absolute offensive wasteland. But here's the one thing I would say about this year's NFC East: um, on a given day, any team, any of those four teams can hold the opposition under 10 points. 
And that is a tremendous strength of a team, especially going into the latter part of the season. Peter King with us here on Damon and Ratto, knowing that the Denver Broncos are about to be in the Russell Wilson business at least a year or two more, because that's just how that works. Yeah. Why in God's name are they still in the Nathaniel Hackett business? They have an owner who can fire a coach, and that's couch cushion money to him. W- what are they waiting for? I don't think it has anything to do with the money, of course. I mean, the owner of the team is worth $70 billion. But it has to do with the fact that Nathaniel Hackett hired a neophyte coaching staff for the most part. Most of the guys on his staff are, uh, you know, are fairly inexperienced. And even if, let's just say, I mean, a lot of people have theorized, well, who would be the head coach? Well, you know, you might say, hey, why don't you give it to Dom Capers? Well, Dom Capers is 72 years old, I think. Um, I mean, is is that going to help? And is it going to help Russell Wilson? Or even if you give it to, uh, you know, the, the, the number two in command, on offense now is Clint Clint Kubiak. I I don't know. I don't know what good that does um, right now. So to me, I don't know what good it would do to fire him right now other than uh, for the fans to be able to say, ding dong, the witch is dead. Um, And plus, here's the other one thing, all right? So a lot of people have talked about Look, the, the the owners are not married to this coach. They had nothing to do with hiring him, had nothing to do with hiring the GM, had nothing to do with signing or with trading for Russell Wilson. And I think one of the things that I heard right from the start is that this group, this ownership group, is going to be deliberate in figuring out how active they want to be, whether they want to be uh, big uh, uh, league people, whether they want to be on the committees and and try to be influential. I mean, they've just owned this team for 15 minutes. And I think that's the biggest reason why they haven't fired Nathaniel Hackett. Do you think Jim Harbaugh returns to the NFL or is he using NFL opportunities to get another extension out of Michigan? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I guess the one thing I would say is that he'll probably never be hotter than he is right now. And he's got, he's going to have theoretically at least one or two teams that would be absolutely desperate to have him. Denver is one. Indianapolis might be another one. I think that if Indianapolis could get in the Jim Harbaugh business, uh, there's a lot of people, uh, fans, media, uh, veteran cult watchers who think that uh, that Jim Ursay uh, would be smitten with the prospect of, uh, of bringing Jim Harbaugh in. Uh, so I think that's a possibility. And I think the other possibility in Denver is interesting for Harbaugh because he could make a jillion dollars and he would be in charge of fixing Russell Wilson. I think that would appeal to Harbaugh. But, you know, we'll see. There are going to be other jobs. Sean Payton is out there. I don't think Sean Payton has any interest in going to Denver. I doubt he has any interest in going to Indianapolis. He can't go to Carolina because the uh, uh, the ownership would never trade him in the division. Um, so all of those things are interesting. The one little X factor I would say about Denver in in going after uh, any coach is that I think this ownership group has no problem with spending a lot of money. They'll go big. So I think if any team out there really goes after, uh, you know, a, a highly regarded coach, whether it's Harbaugh or somebody else, I would not be surprised at all if it's Denver. 
thank you as always, Peter, for joining us. Really appreciate it. And you know, my heart always palpitates during a, a long interview that we might get some breaking news somewhere. Nothing broke anywhere, so we're okay. Peter, thank you so very much. All the best, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Peter King on ninety five seven The Game. Look, the Harbaugh thing, Ray. I think it's kind of interesting because he's smart and he does know that he can probably right now make a leap back into the NFL more than any other year. Peter's right. He's a hot commodity. I think he's also incredibly happy with what's happening at Michigan. And if he can squeeze a little more money out of Ann Arbor, this is an opportunity to do that. There aren't a lot of college coaches who can really pivot to the NFL and use that as leverage in a negotiation. He can. And when I think about it, I do agree the Denver Broncos can pay him more money than God. And he can also walk in there and just alpha his way over that entire franchise, especially Russell Wilson, who he'll have at his heel instantly if he were to take that job. I also think, though, that if I'm Jim Harbaugh, the Indianapolis Colts and the captain comeback and the all that. Here's the deal. If you're going to stay as a football coach in the Midwest and you can be the head coach of the Colts or the Michigan Wolverines, you should probably pick the Michigan Wolverines. They're the bigger brand, to be totally honest with you. And the Colts are a disaster. If I were Jim Harbaugh, I would be waiting on the Chargers. I would say that's a quarterback I want to work with. That's got an awful lot of money attached to it. If I'm Jim Harbaugh, I would come back to the NFL for an opportunity to just big you-know-what my way around Denver any way I wanted to or to go into a a Charger team where you, the day you become head coach, have one of the five best quarterbacks in the sport. I think there are a couple of problems with the Charger scenario, though. One, Justin Herbert is himself a Harbaugh-type personality-wise, and I can't imagine them getting along very well together at all. Hard hedge. Our iron sharpens iron, Ray. It also breaks iron. And I think that Harbaugh's experiences with with headstrong quarterbacks, particularly at Stanford, did not go well in the end. He and Andrew Luck, you know, they were iron melting iron. And Harbaugh left so that Luck didn't have to because Luck was ready to bolt. So I think personality's got something to do with it. But if it's just about money and power, he'll get all the money and power he's got at Michigan now. And there won't be anybody that's going to challenge him at Michigan the way there would be in the NFL, where you either have to toe the line with an owner or toe the line with a strong general manager. I think Jim Harbaugh is comfortable where he is because he has nobody to answer to except himself. And I think that's the situation He's always enjoyed the most. I think he's been happier at Michigan than he's ever been in any other stop he's been at. And I think it just suits him. Um, I don't know that the NFL is an itch for him the way that it might be if, say, they won the national championship. If they win the national championship, I think all bets are off because then he's got, you know, he's got a whole different set of decisions to make. Is Do I want to see if I can repeat and become the next Nick Saban you know, and step on Ohio State's neck for the next 10 years? Or have I done everything I wanted to do in college football and I want to move on? I think for right now, you know, if they don't win the national championship, I think he stays. If they do win the national championship, I think the equation changes. But I don't think he'll be any happier in the NFL than he is right now. We have breaking news. It is from Jeff Passan. It concerns the San Francisco Giants. And an You're outfielder, no, concerns yeah. the San Francisco Giants, and an outfielder who is from the Bay Area. Hit the sounder. 95-7, the game, breaking news. <laughs> did you know that Mitch Hanniger was from Mountain View? I did. Mitch Hanniger, a 31-year-old Major League outfielder, is definitely not Aaron Judge. But he is definitely signed with the San Francisco Giants. It's a three-year, $43.5 million contract. Jeff Passan includes the note that signing Hanniger does not take the Giants out of the running for Aaron Judge. They had been pursuing both throughout free agency. So there you go. I did give an evil tease. Yes, you did. That's an evil tease. But I, I needed to have some fun today. Come on.
Yeah, well, I, I can only bring so much. So, uh, yeah, Hanniger was an interesting choice because he was a guy that the, the Mariners really liked and they thought he would be sort of central to their making a deep run this year. And then he got hurt and missed half the season and never really did get comfortable again. So it'll be interesting to see, A, health prognosis and how they use him because he's at his best when he plays every day. So they've got to make a room for him. Well, look, he had in 2001 with the Mariners 620 at-bats. I mean, was there a giant who sniffed 500 last year? I don't even, you know, the way that they chop it all up with their platoons galore. Uh, you're right. They're going to have to do something a little different. He only played in 57 games last year, uh, 224 at-bats. But Hanniger was a 253 hitter in his full season back in 2021 with 39 home runs. The Giants can use a player like that. There is no doubt about oh, no. it. If he's healthy, he'll be helpful. Yeah, um, and he, that's a good signing. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's not a bad signing at all. And the fact that it doesn't, you know, it's a $13 million a year get. Um, you know, the fact that it doesn't impinge on their willingness to go after Judge is probably, you know, very appealing. And if that's true, it means the four, the, the Giants are willing to comp- commit at least $400 million, which I was skeptical that they would. And... If they don't get Judge, presumably, they could chase other things. But it might be more along the lines of the Hanniger level rather than, the say, the Dansby Swanson level. Well, that's to me why I thought Josh Bell was just sitting there begging to be a giant based on he's a switch hitter. They can, you know, he's a he's his own platoon, for goodness sakes. But he today signed with the... Uh, Guardians. Someone from the 510 on the Xfinity Mobile text line says, Damon, I thought you said it was too late to make an announcement on signings for the San Francisco Giants. It's not too late for the Giants to make an announcement the size of Mitch Haneker because nobody cares. And Aaron Judge is front page above the fold, biggest font you got in the newspaper level headline. That is not the one that Major League Baseball wants rolled out about, you know, 840 on a Wednesday night, Tuesday night. It's no, but this is also probably an agent announcement. The Giants didn't announce this. Passon just broke it, and I'm pretty sure he broke it because Hanniger's agent told him it got done. Well, here's so, the thing. If Hanniger's so not, agent doesn't announce it, this is, people aren't running for Mitch Hanniger news. This is No, not, I under, which I understand. Yeah. I'm just saying that this is not a baseball call. It's just the agent's going to announce what he wants to announce when he wants to announce it. So it's not about an organized Major League Baseball plan to announce Mitch Haniger or not announce Mitch Haniger. The agent got it out there because he wants to make sure that everybody knows his guy got got. <laughs> Somebody says, I hate you, Damon. Hey, look, it's been a while since I messed with the audience, but... I think I got my swagger back. Oh, oh. This is David in Brentwood. Hello, David. You're on 95.7 The Game. What do you got? <laughs> they were honestly when you pulled that uh, that face I didn't know if I should just cry or laugh uh, it, it's so ridiculous you know I can almost picture Farhan running circles around he's always going Whoa, I got for I got this uh, other guy I don't even know his name you know that much it tells you how much how excited we are about getting this guy just like you know every time they have breaking news about the Giants signing a new player these are players that like some random belt you know which I mean, for starters, I don't even know how he ended up getting an extension for that. I mean, a new contract for 19 million bucks. Uh, this is just so bad. Honestly, honestly, uh, you know, at this point, until I see Aaron Judge on the field wearing a uniform and actually taking a bat, uh, and a bat, I, I, I just won't believe it. There you, go. you won't even believe it. You won't even believe it when he reports to Scottsdale. He wants a major league at bat. Number 99. I want Rennell introducing number 99, Aaron Judge. Maybe they wouldn't even give him 99. Has there ever been a great 99 giant? No? Uh, no. Not that I know of. I don't think so. I'll probably give him anything he wants, to be totally honest with you. They would give him 25 if he asked for it. Uh, probably not. Well, probably not. But anyway. if he'd give him, they'd give him 24. For $400 million, I'd have to think about it. I wonder what Willie Willie, would say. I, Willie, I got a proposition for you. Be like, look, you do that, you got to take the statue down. I, I bet you Willie would drive a hard bargain. Oh, no, he'd want to get paid for that, and he should. 
You should. Anyway, there you go. I'm sorry to toy with your emotions, but that's really all Aaron Judge was today. One big toying with emotions around the Bay Area. Um, when we do come on back, uh, you know, what, what can really be said about what the, the Warriors did last night? They fell, on their fa- they fell on their faces. It was an embarrassing loss. It's an embarrassing loss, I think, for Steve Kerr. He needs a team that plays harder than that. He needs that now. And, yeah, it was a rough night for Steph Curry. And it was an inefficient night for Clay Thompson. But Poole and Clay, like, they did enough. They did enough to win that game with just a little bit anywhere else. And they didn't get it. They didn't, that, was a, that was a bad loss. In a season that's got a lot of bad losses to choose from, that stunk as much as any of them. And I can tell you, tomorrow night, the chances of the Warriors losing have gone up greatly because Steph Curry with his ankle, Draymond, who now has a hip problem, and Andrew Wiggins, whose abductor is going to keep him out another game, are all out tomorrow night in Utah. But James Wiseman has been recalled from Santa Cruz. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. When we do come on back, if anything happens, Mitch Hanniger news or otherwise, we will share it with you. But Ray, we have to say goodbye to two people who became quite household names. One is absolutely in the household name business. The other comes from a group that rarely becomes household names. He passed away today. So all of that is around the corner here. Damon and Rado on 95.7 The Game. We are brought to you by Pfizer. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now back to Damon and Ratto on 95.7 The Game. Well, as I was just saying there in that promo, it doesn't matter if it's Aaron Judge, but the Giants need to start doing something. Like, especially if Aaron Judge wants to see a little more oomph in a lineup that he's joining, make some of those middle-of-the-road peripheral signings. And that's how you officially start free agency. You just can't wait, 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 wait. Things happen quickly at the winter meetings. Well, the Giants went out and signed Mitch Hanniger. Just broken the news, and and look, he's a good player. He's a good player. The girth machine. Girthy, right. The girth machine is going to be uh, playing for the San Francisco Giants next year. It is a three-year deal, player option in that last year, 43 and a half million dollars. Mitch Hanniger, no longer a manor, mariner. He is a San Francisco Giant. And Jeff Passan, who broke the news, went on to quickly tell everyone this does not mean that they are out of the Aaron Judge business. No, but it does suggest that if they're going to do Aaron Judge and it's going to be north of 360, if this becomes another bidding war, they might they might start getting a little queasy. Because I don't know that they're ready to say we're going to spend four hundred fifty million dollars on two outfielders. Um, I like the Hanniger signing. I think if he stays healthy, he'll be helpful for them in ways that none of their current outfielders are. But 
you know, I don't know that it, I, I think Passon's right. It doesn't impact Judge either positively or negatively. How about this? If your free agent class for the Giants was a two-man free agent class, Tanager and Judge, who's starting after Logan Webb on opening day? You're really going with DeSclafani? I mean, I think that they need a pitcher, too. They need, they need Chris Bassett. To me, Chris Bassett is in a price point at that point they would be looking for, right? I mean, he's, he, that's a $40 million contract waiting to happen, too. Uh, yeah, probably not forty, but thirty. Um, are you mean ta- forty total? Are you talking for, about a forty per? You're not talking. 40 oh no, no, like there. a three-year, forty-something million dollars for Chris Bassett. Yeah, maybe north of that. I mean, I I could see him being close to twenty. What's the thing? They're, 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 we're running out of like good top of the line major league pitchers. Yeah, but that's why a guy like Chris Bassett is suddenly more expensive than he would have been three or four weeks ago. But no, I agree with you. They are. If they if all they do is Judge and Hanniger, then they're a fairly incomplete team. Um, they do have to create a, a rotation out of something, and if they don't, I I could see Steve Sclafani as their second guy. Absolutely. Kirsty Alley passed away yesterday. She had one of the hardest jobs in the history of television: replace Shelley Long on Cheers. Ray, she nailed it. She nailed it. That's, that is one of the hardest jobs anyone has ever been asked to do on a television show. Would you please replace the incredibly funny, the incredibly great chemistry that Shelley Long had with Ted Danson and recreate the magic of Sam and Diane with Rebecca? She did it. Well, and they wrote her differently. Which made it work. They didn't try to recreate it. Oh no, they made her the alpha. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was dramatically different in every way than Shelley Rolong was, and that's why it worked. But Cheers is one of the best written television shows of all time. So, so we have another passing today, and it's a man who spent part of his life as a judge, and he's certainly the single most famous boxing announcer, or not announcer, but referee of all time. Mills Lane died this morning. Mills Lane was, he he became famous the night that Mike Tyson bit Evander Holyfield's ear off. He actually would cross over to become a claymation TV character on MTV. He then capitalized on all the attention that he was now getting and turned himself into a TV judge after being a two-term district attorney and district court judge uh, in Nevada. I mean, he was a smart, respected guy who also worked the rematch between Bo and Holyfield where the paraglider crashed the ring. He was also in the ring, Ray, when uh, Oliver McCall had his mental breakdown. He's standing there crying in the corner of a boxing ring. Like, the assignments that, you know, sometimes you got to be good in life and sometimes you need to be a little lucky, too. Mills Lane was a very good boxing ref who was in the right place at the right time on three different occasions. Yeah, yeah you know, he, he, he was probably one of the two best boxing refs of his time with Richard Steele. I was about to say, the only other name that I can even put out for you is Richard Steele. Yeah. But, yeah, he got, he got the assignments that stuck. I mean, the, being able to figure out the Holyfield-Tyson um, fight as quickly as he did... It is a remarkable thing because an official, you're never looking for somebody to bite somebody else. You know, that's just, that's sort of out of anybody's experience. And you wouldn't be looking there anyway. But, you know, Lane caught it the first time, then warned him, then he did it again. And he just, okay, well, then you're DQ'd out of a big money fight. And I'm sure the promoters were furious about it, but. I read today, I mean, how furious can you be when the other guy's chewing on an earlobe? But uh, having said that, Tyson goes in for the bite. Lane was ready to DQ him from that fight right away and actually made the decision. Some Nevada boxing muckety-muck comes to the ring, and he always says that I always come to the ring, and I just ask an official who's about to make a you know night-changing decision, are you sure about that? Mills Lane did the math 
and thought, okay, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. It is Mike Tyson. Crazy does happen. Let's see how we can go. And within 30 seconds, Tyson's in there looking for bite number two, and that's when he really tossed him. Yeah. No, it was, you know. It's one of the craziest nights in sports oh, history. Yeah, nobody could figure out how to how to write it. I remember talking to guys later who covered that fight. They just, they were flummoxed. Was Kawakami still doing boxing for the LA Times back then? Was he coming? He might have been. Night? He might have been there that night. Next time we have him on, we got to ask him about that. Yeah. Ray and I are going to be down at the Guardsman Tree Lot tomorrow from 3 to 5.30 because we're going to have to make way for a little Warriors Live from 5 to 5.30 before they get going against the Utah Jazz tomorrow night. Uh, it's going to be a tough one. Again, no Steph, no Draymond, no Wiggins tomorrow night. No Wiggins last night. There were no Indiana Pacers last night, and they lose at home. That was a, just a bad, bad loss for the Warriors, and it doesn't feel like they got a get-right game waiting for them tomorrow in Utah. Uh, are we going to have Steve on Thursday? Is that the way it's going to go? Yep, Thursday at 5. Thursday at 5 o'clock, Steve Kerr is going to be joining us. We will settle up the uh, the official bet between uh, my Hoosiers and his Wildcats coming up this weekend in Las Vegas, which is why I'm going to be out on Friday because I got to go to Vegas and I got to start partying early. Ray, I got to drink for at least 24 hours before tip off. So I don't know why you wouldn't start now. Well, because tomorrow we have my preferred charity and we're going to go down. We're going to be great ambassadors, not just for the station, but dare I say humanity. Two things I'm against. The station and humanity? Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, thanks so much to John Heyman, who could use a little humanity extended his way today after his Twitter blunder. And uh, Peter King for joining us today. Thank you very, very much, Lucas. Thank you, Grandy. Ray, thank you. We're going to be down at the tree lot tomorrow. It's at Fort Mason in the Festival Pavilion. Come on by. Say hello. Bring your kid. Ray will be signing autographs, flat objects, and breasts only. So there you go. See you tomorrow. What? No, Ray has no comment. No comment on that. Sports don't build character. They reveal it. And like that, he's gone. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.